Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. BRICS and other developing and developed nations wax and wane in their importance on the global stage, while consumption and interconnectedness both increase. Laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. How do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens International Business Attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every Thursday, we take a bite-sized look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of our international guests. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finances, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us via email and social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. We're joined today by Glenn Davies, group CEO and co-founder of Canacubed, a cannabis biotech company based in Singapore. Glenn is a seasoned CEO with 25 years of experience leading private and public organizations. Glenn is looking to revolutionize the industrial cannabis market and solve some of the world's most pressing issues around climate, disease, waste, poverty, energy, and the environment. Glenn, thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Could you please start by describing your career path and discussing your experiences as as an entrepreneur? For sure. Um, Well, I've worked in and out of Asia for about 25 years. Um, I worked for a few companies early in my career, um, had some uh, early successes, but quickly realized that my real passion was to run my own company, um, something that I could really be accountable for, for the outcomes. So I started my first business in Australia in 2003, and I grew that for about five years before, unfortunately, being wiped out by the global financial crisis. Um, So a few years later, I actually launched a consulting firm that focused on bringing game-changing and and disruptive technologies to emerging markets. Uh, They were focused mostly on Asia, Central America, and Africa. Um, It was during this time that I saw what was happening in the cannabis space, mostly in the North American markets. And so I decided to write a white paper on how industrial hemp could transform economies, um, both from a sustainability perspective and economic so whilst having a, a significant impact on, on the environment as well. And that's really where Canacube was born. Glenn, you focused on Southeast Asia in your business scope uh, right now. Uh, could you tell us what's happening in the legalization and regulation of the cannabis industry in Asia right now, and particularly why cannabis is such a promising crop for so many nations? Sure. Well, we're, we're really focused on the entire Asia region, now, Southeast Asia in the last couple of years has certainly been in the news and in the media much more. But we launched our business in early 2018 in Singapore. Uh, we set ourselves up as a biotech company, although we really um, are an integrated cannabis company and we've never tried to, to hide this at all. Um, I, In some ways, I think we pioneered the sector here by uh, becoming uh, the first fully banked uh, cannabis company, not just in Singapore, but also in Asia. Uh, with one of the major banks. And if I look at what's happened in the last two and a half years since we launched, it's a totally different market. 
Um, we're aware that most Asian countries now and even the broader Asia-Pacific region are considering legalisation in some form or having some kind of amendment made to their current regulations. Uh, if we just look at 2019, for example, there are three major Asian countries which have made very positive moves to regulate the industry. Um, early 2019, Thailand uh, amended its laws to legalise medical cannabis. Um, about a month later in March, South Korea made the headlines to legalise medical cannabis um, and starting to import uh, Epidiolex, the uh, CBD-based drug for epilepsy. And similarly, uh, in March, Japan also moved for trials to import the drug and since then have uh, progressed quite um, quite rapidly in terms of the imp- allowing for the import of CBD and, and other product-based cannabinoids. Um, so from the way that I've seen it happen is each country uh, has made some form of move or, or had internal discussions around this, and but everybody's got a very different take on what legalisation means and what's actually important to that particular government. If I look at what we've done in China, for example, um, the country is very focused on industrialization um, and also sustainability and, and any project that's going to have a significant in, uh, environmental impact. So we've aligned our policies, uh, our business plan uh, with the China policies, which are some of the key policies, including poverty alleviation, uh, Healthy China 2030 and One Belt, One Road, uh, which is, of course, the old Silk Road route, which is opening up the trade, mar- trade route markets across uh, into, into Europe and, and abroad. So with China, hemp is considered a, a cash crop and not just China, but right across uh, Asia. And it provides a, a sustainable and environmental business that supports one of the most important industries in China, which is the agriculture industry, which is in turn developing their rural sector, which is, a, which is one of the most impoverished um, uh, industries in China. So the reason that it actually um, improves poverty alleviation is that hemp has an extensive root system and this uh, prevents soil loss and erosion and uh, ultimately protects farmers from the risk of flooding and, and crop loss, uh, as well as stabilising the land near um, surrounding communities. But on an even, uh, even larger scale, uh, hemp production combats global warming And this is one of uh, the biggest ways that hemp can actually fight poverty. Uh, Other countries have progressed um, in various ways. Hong Kong, for example, had its first CBD retail store open this year. Uh, We're aware that Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia are undergoing pilot projects in hemp. Uh, India has traditionally been um, very strong in growing hemp for the fibre and textiles market, but it now is developing quite rapidly and moving slowly into uh, other aspects of the of cannabis, including medical. Sri Lanka uh, has approved initial medical cannabis-based trials, and we're aware that uh, Malaysia is also considering all of its options, which um, include industrial medical as well as uh, the potential import of, of cosmetics. One thing that we're focused on in, in, uh, in Canicube, which we, is quite unique and rare as far as the industrial hemp industry is concerned, is we've aligned a lot of what we're doing now with the United Nations Sustainability Goals. Uh, We believe that we're the first industrial hemp company to do this. Um, There's 17 sustainability development goals and we're fairly confident that we 
can tackle at least 10 of those and we're moving to develop the business further to um, to look at ticking all of the boxes uh, as far as the SDGs are concerned. And these include, of course, the Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Agreement around climate change. One of the goals that's interesting for us is uh, clean water. Um, this is obviously important in impoverished na- nations and, and certainly in, in a lot of the rural areas that we're working in in China. Um, there's been lots of research done and it's been proposed that hemp plants uh, could be used to clean up waterways. Um, so this is looking at planting hemp within waterways to determine how much uh, nitrogen and phosphorus that each plant can uptake from the waterways and as a result of that, uh, producing a, um, a much cleaner uh, water. So they're looking at um, some projects are, are looking at using hemp plants as a, I guess, a floating wetland, uh, which can then be harvested, including the roots, and ultimately removing all the um, uh, nutrient, uh, bad nutrients and chemicals that from from the water. Some exciting news that we've um, recently uh, signed off here in in Singapore is a, a deal that we've done with uh, a major carbon management and climate consulting firm uh, called CRX. Uh, we believe the deal is first of its kind in the world and it's uh, where both parties are looking at exploring uh, the potential commercialization of hemp as an impact commodity and solving a lot of these issues which we've talked about which is uh, carbon sequestration climate control uh, sustainable agriculture uh, renewable energy and fossil fuel reduction uh, environmental waste and plastic reduction, and also looking at hemp as a potential green building and construction material. Um, this deal is, uh, is we believe, going to be a, a trailblazer in terms of how hemp is perceived and some of the uh, positive impacts that it can have here in, in Asia and across the world. Thank you, Glenn. That, that was very informative. Uh, I, I have to admit that I've never really considered the, the ecological impact of, of hemp. Um, so, so thank you for, for, for that overview. Looking now at specific jurisdictions, which countries would you say are the, the rising stars in Asia when it comes to, to cannabis? And do you see Asian cannabis as more sustainable than that grown in, in North America? Um, are there any countries that you would call out as perhaps not doing things in a way um, that should be emulated by, by others? I think, I think the leader overall, if we look at Asia as a, as a region, would have to be China. Um, they've regulated the uh, cultivation of hemp since 2002. And from there, they've really grown strength, uh, from strength to strength. Um, India equally has uh, been growing hemp for for well over a decade, um, but the pace in which um, China is developing is is uh, is phenomenal, and the policy support there internally, both at a uh, state and provincial level as well as federal, is is extremely encouraging. Um, but in the last couple of years, Southeast Asia, of course, has uh, come out and 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 uh, shown a lot of interest in uh, developing this industry. Uh, both from an economic perspective and also from a uh, environmental perspective, um, we think that Thailand at the moment is leading the way as far as Southeast Asia is concerned. Um, they've already started to open up the market and distribute medical-based cannabis 
uh, products to patients throughout the country. Um, we know that Malaysia has been in the media quite a bit in the last year or so. Um, they're making decisions on what it means to regulate cannabis in, in some form. Um, uh, but with Malaysia, I think they're probably taking a little longer than I would have, I would have liked. Um, and, and I think that really comes down to education. Uh, but we're talking to some people in Malaysia and, and uh, we'd like to see hemp introduced as an alternate, alternative crop to palm oil, for example. Um, palm oil is, is not a sustainable crop. It, it takes five years to grow and strips the soil of all its nutrients and, and causes all sorts of damage to the environment. Um, but the reason that it's grown, hemp can replace most of those. Um, and so uh, we're looking at introducing hemp as a supplementary crop to palm oil, not just in Malaysia, but, but also in uh, Indonesia, which are the two largest palm oil growing nations in the world. Uh, Singapore has the potential, in our opinion, to become the region's hub, uh, biotech hub around cannabinoid research. Um, we, uh, we know that Singapore has already made some inroads in this space and made some investment uh, into the synthetic production of um, CBD, looking at the therapeutic effects of this. And there's also been some white papers written up by some of the major universities here on hemp as a building material. So that's very promising. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, they do have the opportunity to move quicker on this and perhaps um, uh, become uh, the epicenter for, for cannabis uh, R&D here in the region. Um, I think the more emerging markets like uh, Nepal, Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos will develop fairly strong hemp industries. They've already got some pilot projects happening in most of those countries that we're aware of. Um, but it will depend on how how quickly they can move to a, a structured and legal framework. And one of the important things that these countries need to be focused on is the uh, QA, the compliance and the governance side, uh, because uh, you can grow, you can cultivate and you can process, but if the end product um, is not grown to global standards, expected standards, um, then you're just not going to be able to move it. And that's a great segue, I think, to the next question I wanted to ask you about your Asia Industrial Hemp Association. True to form, it's one of the first mover or maybe the first moving company in in Asia on this uh, topic of industrial hemp, um, you know, trying to spread it across borders. You have been um, helping from a nonprofit perspective, right, to provide resources uh, to companies and countries that want to uh, move farther along this process of of uh, legalizing industrial hemp or at least utilizing it in a good way. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, a, do you, do you call it IHA or are it just AIHA? AIHA. AIHA. All right. Wanted to get it right. So could you tell us a little bit more about the association? Yeah, sure. Um, as we've seen the, the region develop in the last couple of years, um, we've spoken to uh, governments in different countries. We've spoken to um, uh, investors, potential operators, um, and uh, various funds that are interested in helping the industry develop here. Uh, one thing that we wanted to do was establish um, an organisation that could uh, provide a lot of the support around knowledge share and education, um, but come at it from an uh, independent uh, association, a not-for-profit association that was neutral. 
And so we decided to uh, found the Asia Industrial Hemp Association in early 2019. Um, we were looking at originally putting the headquarters here in Singapore, um, but after a, a couple of months of, of, of trying to get applications through, it it, it just wasn't um, it wasn't received very well because the the, the name itself um, has hemp in it, and that's still um, considered a uh, um, sensitive topic. So uh, we set out to to launch the the business in Hong Kong. Uh, which we did successfully. Um, now, uh, AIHA has been set up as an independent voice to um, really help educate and share knowledge amongst the industry. So we're all about making sure that uh, governments, uh, private enterprise and operators have all the necessary knowledge and tools that they need to start and build a hemp business. There's a lot of information out there in the market. Um, most of it's very, very good. Um, but you have to sift through a huge amount of um, uh, uh, details to understand uh, really which direction you should take. And so we're we're trying to support industry as best we can um, through the AIHA and having that as a um, I guess as a as a as a parallel uh, venture to to Canacube. We know that Canacube is in the middle of raising capital right now. Uh, could you please tell us uh, how, how are you differentiating the company from other international cannabis companies as you go through this process? Yes, we're we're on we're in the middle of a capital raise at the moment. Um, we spent the first couple of years uh, really focused on building the business, uh, which included securing all the licenses and the land and the necessary permits, uh, develop, developing IP into our business. Uh, putting together key partnerships and distribution channels for um, for sales and marketing and product development. Um, and now that that's all done and the foundation has been laid, we're uh, we're now out to market trying to raise capital. Um, I think from what we're now focused on, or what we have been focused on, but certainly what we're we're, we're now advanced in in uh, developing the strategy around using hemp as a sustainable and impact investment. I think that gives us a, a fairly clear um, uh, USP as far as differentiating us from other industrial hemp or, or cannabis companies. We don't believe there's anybody doing what we're doing um, as far as the, the focus. And uh, it's, it's very different to just a standard CBD only strategy, which, which seems to be what a lot of companies are focused on. Um, we're also here doing uh, the business on the ground. So we have an extensive team in China. Uh, we have our headquarters here in Singapore and all of our partners are based here within the region as well. So Asia is our 100% focus. Um, there are some groups that we're aware of that are trying to uh, develop Asia-based cannabis businesses, but they're either based in North American markets or, or in Europe or, or, or other locations and it makes it very difficult to um, we think to uh, to really develop a domestic business here so we also don't spend a lot of time on uh, the conference or speaker circuit uh, we're actually just focused on the operation here and trying to develop the business as best we can so the capital raise we're involved in right now is what we're calling a bridge to a pre-ipo and this is where uh, we see um, 2021 being quite a um, important year for us, uh, 
because we're looking to really grow the business out and become one of the first multi-country licensed operators in the region. And I noticed, Glenn, that you're, one of your executive team uh, co-founders is from Israel. Uh, can you comment at all on how significant Israel's progress has been in cannabis and technology? I, I know that just on the surface that Israel tends to be quite nimble and they have a bit of a head start ahead of other countries uh, when we're looking at, uh, at cannabis, at least at cannabis and technology. Yeah, Israel's been uh, certainly on our radar in the last couple of years to to see what kind of technology and innovation is coming out. Um, we originally felt that there would be quite a lot of tech, whether it was in the ag tech space or in the seed or genetic space, that would come out of Israel that we'd be able to potentially adopt and take into China. What's happened, though, is in the last couple of years, uh, with us being on the ground pretty much full-time in China, we've realised that there really isn't anything that we've seen coming out of Israel that China doesn't already have or is um, advanced in developing. Uh, so uh, that's shifted our focus somewhat to uh, to be quite comfortable with uh, the tech and the um, innovation and product development that's coming out of China and the team that we have there as well. Um, of course, we're, we're always open to hearing what's happening in Israel, and certainly in the last six months or so, they've uh, progressed quite quite well as far as uh, allowing for the import of, of medical-based cannabis and, and other products. We're also aware that they're even starting some potential trials on the industrial side, although I, I think that Israel will predominantly be focused on the medical side. Glenn, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you for your recommendations, whether they are related to the cannabis industry or not. This way, in this way, our our listeners can can benefit a little bit more uh, from from your insight by having a peek at whatever is in, informing or entertaining you these days. Um, so, if you could share with us something interesting you've read or or listened to or watched recently, uh, we'd We'd appreciate that recommendation. Sure. Um, I at the moment I'm I'm really focused on on uh, trying to read as much as I can uh, with uh, information that that uh, is relevant to to what we're doing in the business. And so I don't have a lot of time to to pick up a um, a standard book off the shelf. But what I am doing is reading a couple of interesting things at the moment, which. Um, relate to the sustainability and the impact side of hemp. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, very detailed um, uh, white papers that I'm reading. One of them is called Biofuels in Asia, and this is an analysis of sustainability options around hemp um, and other other potential biofuel crops. Um, And the other one I'm reading is um, a paper called Sustainable Development, which is building a case for hemp, and, and that's mostly focused on uh, how hemp can be turned into construction building materials um, that have a, um, a, a positive carbon impact uh, all around sort of green building and green engineering, which I'm, of course, happy to share with the listeners if, if anybody would like a copy. Thank you for that. Uh, Jonathan, what about you? What do you have for us this week? Uh, I just got done reading an article in the Nikkei Asian Review, and it's called Hong Kong Security Law Sparks Race for Asia's Next Financial Capital. This was a long-form article with some really cool charts uh, comparing uh, you know, the feasibility of these alternatives to Hong Kong. So we're looking at Tokyo, Seoul, and Singapore. 
and uh, Singapore, Glenn will be happy to hear, and he probably knows this already, Singapore came out ahead of Tokyo and Seoul just in terms of bear, uh, bear metrics. They used different metrics to show uh, desirability, uh, ease of doing business, things like that. And so it's uh, interesting for me, uh, you know, Fred and I are, are both lovers of Hong Kong. So uh, we're sad to see Hong Kong changing in a material way. Um, but we're also very interested to see what's happening in the region and how China exerting its influence on Hong Kong is reshaping what's happening in Hong Kong. And then you see all of the all of these uh, nations, uh, you know, including Taiwan, others in Southeast Asia, trying to pull all of these financial experts from Hong Kong, uh, you know, pull these companies that are bringing their financial experts to to their country, so they can try to to be a play a bigger role in the global financial uh, banking industry. So, very interesting article. Um, we'll drop the link for sure, and Glenn, we will also drop the links for your suggestions uh, in the uh, in our blog post announcing this recording. So, we'll be sure to get those from you, Fred. What about you? What do you have for us today? So earlier today, I was driving through eastern Oklahoma, and I remembered a very good podcast that I had listened to um, last year. So I decided to to listen to it again. I, I, I found it to be just as informative, and, and it was just good to, to revisit what, what the podcast discussed. And actually, there, there's been some relevant developments. Uh, the podcast involves a Supreme Court case which in turn has to do with the status of a Native American reservation in uh, eastern Oklahoma. And in the time that has elapsed since I originally listened to the podcast, the, the Supreme Court actually uh, handed down a decision. So, so it's interesting to, to listen to it again with that, have, having, having seen that development. But in any case, the, the podcast does an excellent job of explaining the issue and explaining some of the, the broader issues uh, impacting Native American reservations and, and, and Native American law. The title is This Land, and it's hosted by Rebecca Nagel. So uh, if, you, if you like podcasts, this is a, an excellent series and, uh, again, highly, highly recommended. Glenn, we want to thank you again for spending time with us today. We appreciate your expertise, your obvious passion for for this topic. And we're excited to check in with you again in the future, uh, hopefully for another episode, and you can update us on what you've seen in the region and on CanaCube's progress. Guys, thanks for having me and um, appreciate the chat. Happy to follow up anytime. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We look forward to connecting with you on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else you want to find us. Until next week.